the nation station Manx Radio Faster by, good afternoon and welcome to Perspective on Manx Radio. I'm Dolan Mercer. This week we're looking back at what many people might now regard as a less positive news story for the Isle of Man government. Some years ago, big promises were made when it came to the film industry. The old adage of speculate to accumulate was banded around by some supporters of heavy investment in media here. Critics argued the proposals lacked some depth. To quote an MHK who would go on to become Treasury Minister, I'm pleading with you to cast off that starry-eyed spell that's been waved over you and start appreciating facts. There's no proper due diligence, there is no business plan. It would appear that Mr Cannon was right. The Media Development Fund is thought to have incurred losses of between £26 and £27 million. And in July last year, the leader of Liberal Vanin argued there should be a full-scale inquiry into those losses, spearheaded by a Tinwald committee. The Media Development Fund, it's a, it's a very long story. But it doesn't escape from the fact that up to the 8th of May this year, 20, 000, 20 million, sorry, 664,000 has been written off on film made during the time Cinema NX were managing the Fund for Government. And 6,190,000 has been written off in the same period on films which government had relied on Pinewood Film Advisors, bringing nearly a total of £27 million of public funds written off, and with more write-offs likely, in my opinion, to be made in the future. What could we have done with that money? We could have employed over 100 nurses for 10 years. We could have employed 80 policemen for 10 years. We could have employed over 90 high school teachers for 10 years. Our roads are in a pitiful condition. Last year's gross budget for highways was just over 14 million, and the related in- income, presumably from road tax, was slightly more. So, and without raising road tax or any other related income streams, we could have had the funds to do two years' worth of extra repairs to our roads. The list of what we could have spent the £27 million on goes on. It's a huge amount of money. And I'm sure that every single one of us could name other areas this money would have been better spent. However, it is gone. And we have to live with the knowledge of what might have been. Honourable Members, I have had difficulty deciding what to include in this motion and what to omit. Because it is such a long and convoluted story and it is impossible to cover everything. But I hope to cover the most pertinent facts and the ones that need to go on public record. And I will try not to be unbearably long, but I warn you, it will take more than a couple of minutes. The Public Accounts Committee invested the film industry from 1995 to 2009. And this report, which is well worth reading completely, was debated in Tinwald in December 2010. In May 2011, Liberal Vannin produced a booklet giving a summary of events to that point and referencing the Public Accounts Committee report. And that was the document that I referred to that was circulated yesterday. And as I said, I hope members have had a chance, if not to read it thoroughly, but to have a brief look over it. A copy is also being placed in the library for anyone needing it for future reference. 
I will be going over some of the points made in that document, but it will certainly reduce the amount that I need to say today. That was Kate Beecroft, MHK, addressing Timwald in July 2018, as she moved to see a committee of three members established to investigate the events that caused the losses of over £26 million from the Media Development Fund. If we fast forward to September 2019, Mrs Beecroft was summoned to give evidence to the very committee she had essentially laid the foundations for. Timwald's Public Accounts Committee was tasked with identifying whether further investigation is needed and whether there are any changes to governance procedures required as a result of this situation. Three alternate politicians were appointed for the inquiry, though, as the usual PAC members were deemed to have a conflict of interest. So, in a new-look panel, MHK's Claire Barber and Anne Corlett were joined by Kate Lord Brennan, MLC. Let's listen in as Kate Beecroft was asked to outline her concerns that led to the Timwald motion in July last year. Government is, by its very nature, of its being a complicated, complex and convoluted affair. The government of the Isle of Man is defined by laws, regulations and parliamentary obligations to give its structure, definition and power to act. The parliament, being elected representatives of the people, the electorate who earn and pay directly and indirectly for all things that government does in its name are expected and have a duty to hold the government to account for what it does with public money. It is critical, as we have seen proven recently in the UK, that Parliament retains and exerts when needed its supremacy over government. Easily said, but not so easily done, especially when the majority of the elected parliamentarians are also the same people who are running the government. Speaking truth to power, historically speaking, is something of a calculated risk. Sometimes power demonstrates a very limited capacity to listen to truth. Sometimes power retaliates with a demonstration of its power for the purpose to silence the truth. In this particular case, the government of the Isle of Man, in its former Council of Ministers, bound up the defence of the funding of the Media Development Fund with appeals to the emotions, but with a very careful downplaying of hard financial facts. No matter what the spin put on the reasons for funding film projects has been, and no matter how determined the obfuscations employed, the facts are there to be found. There are some in the House of Keys who have already decided that investigating the events that have caused the losses of over £26 million from the Media Development Fund is throwing good money after bad. It's interesting to note, firstly, that there is an admittance that the losses are definable as bad money. All governments waste money. That's the other of the excuses proffered. It's the way things have always been done. People make mistakes and it is necessary to speculate, to accumulate. Films are notable for their high risk is another well-used opening remark, especially when the next sentence contains the amount of money that has been lost. What this committee has to consider in detail, I submit, is more 
then why did the media fund lose such a large amount of money? But what is it in the system of government that appears to be so deficient that it makes it difficult, if not impossible, to apply any checks on the expenditure before yet another example is added to the list of projects that have caused the expenditure and loss of multi-millions of pounds of taxpayers' money to little or no benefit to them. Of course, it is not easy to face the difficulties that must be faced to make changes that are effective, changes that are urgent, changes that if are not made that will be the catalyst of next opportunities for yet another public accounts committee or select committee to sift through the wreckage of yet another project that has cost millions of pounds of taxpayers money change must happen when change is necessary for public good it is trite to say that lessons have been learned when they demonstrably have not been when the evidence of constant repetition of the same costly mistakes are being made over and over again and again. The pockets of the taxpayer are not so deep in the Isle of Man that they can afford to have them emptied on projects that should have been given proper scrutiny by the Parliament before being started. The Media Development Fund is the present challenge to parliamentarians of the Isle of Man to show to the taxpayer that no matter what the truth or how difficult the facts, the truth will be spoken to power and that truth will finally make a significant change to the way public money is spent by the government that it elects. By now the committee will be aware just how highly complicated the whole issue that they are now investigating is. And I trust that when giving evidence today that the committee will allow me to add further written evidence or oral evidence should I find later that I have made a mistake, not elaborated on a point sufficiently for them, or have omitted something entirely. May I close my statement by finally adding that if the committee has not already done so, I respectfully suggest that they consider give consideration to finding a forensic accountant with the relevant expertise to assist them in their fact-finding and the interpretation of those facts. It may well be that assistance will need to be sought from off-island, given the statements by the Council of Ministers, but I will come to that later if I may. There is no doubt that the work of the committee in getting to the truth of this matter will be difficult enough and will be made even more difficult without the appropriate assistance, which I, which I am sure no right-minded person would grudge them. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and of course, we would be uh, more than happy to receive further evidence as you know, as you become aware that if there was omissions or so on, absolutely, we would be delighted for you to forward them through the clerk. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. So we have some other questions. We'll try and avoid uh, repetition, but equally, if you've got something you think I should have said that before, do feel free to, to bring that in. Mm -hmm. um, we'll try and do it in some order of a, a timeline. <laughs> um, so it was stated in answer to a Timor question in 2012 that the only taxpayer-funded investment in film was the original £500,000 in the first film, The Brill Cream Boys. Later investment was generated from within the industry, and we wondered if you could give your understanding of that. 
I think it's quite a preposterous claim to make, to be honest. I mean, it's like saying, well, we've got all this money, we're going to put it in the bank, um, but actually the interest on that is not the taxpayers. It's money that was generated from within, from the original funds. I'm sorry, any money generated um, by any investment by government has to belong to the, to, the, to the public funds, to the public, to every member of the public, you know, not, not just taxpayers, but everybody. Um, I, th I think it... Well, as I said, I think it's quite a preposterous statement to make. Okay, thank you. Um, and I think that was reiterated on, on a number of occasions. Mm. Can you comment if that was um, ever in presentations that you may have attended, that that was the, the narrative given around the Media Development Fund? It, I'm sure it was, because I remember hearing it many times and, um, shall we say, questioning the validity of the statement. Um, and the proposal for the Media Development Fund to be managed by an external service provider was approved by Tim Ward as part of the 2007-8 budget. Um, and we wonder if you could comment on the, the relationship between that external service provider and the fund money and the, the public purse. <laughs> That's a bit of a complicated one all in one go. Yes, it was. Um, it was in the Treasury Minister, his speech in 2007 for the 2007 budget referred to having to find a, um, I think it was a new mechanism or some such for the Media Development Fund because of the changes in the VAT regulations. Um, it was also referred to um, in the pink book. Um, I have the excerpts here with me on that if you would like me to find them and quote from them. Yeah, the Media Development Fund continues to provide resources for investment in film projects, bringing positive media coverage, employment and income for local businesses, especially hotels. The fund was created with a one-off 25 million transfer in 2002, supplemented by a contribution from the Department of Trade and Industry until 2005-06. The Media Development Fund also receives a sum of 60% of the identified benefits arising from the investments, such figure agreed annually by Treasury. From 2007-08, no further transfer of benefits will be made into the fund, and instead it is planned that the balance will be placed with external managers to invest in film production, subject to tre Treasury approval over individual investments. This will allow a wider range of projects to be considered. Treasury will retain its position in recouping its return on each investment and share in the profits of the investment management company, as well as being able to rely on a wider range of experienced professionals in providing advice over suitable investments. The estimated balance of the fund at the 31st of March 2007 is 49.6 million. Now, that was the only information that I'm aware of that Tinwald members um, had access to before 50 million um, was transferred to the balance sheet of Cinema NX um, in August 2017. Interestingly enough, Cinema NX was formed in the February. Uh, for some reason that we can't discover, it never went out to tender for expressions of interest for for anything, asking anybody, you know, what would they do with the 50 million, or giving a particular scope of what government was looking for. Um, so, it, as I say, it didn't follow the normal process. In addition, Treasury gave itself, or signed itself, an FD8 waiver, allowing Treasury not 
to follow the normal procedures. There was never a tinwall debate on this. Okay. So um, there's a few questions if I could pick up on in that. Um, one of them is around the tender process for the external service provider. Bearing in mind, obviously, there is a, a benefit to be had from that. So your understanding is there was no uh, tender process for the No, provider. there wasn't. Um, and when Mrs Crane was Treasury Minister, um, in the evidence to, I think it was the PAC committee in 2010, um, she said that the Media Development Fund was being treated differently to, to the other funds because it was a different animal. Okay. Uh, but it's been referred to at various times that the relationship as investment managers, as fund managers, etc., etc. Um, now, whichever one, it, what, whichever one of those is finally decided on legally to be the situation, um, I would uh, say that if the regulations hadn't come in, hadn't come in by the time that agreement was signed with Cinema NX, they certainly did during the five years where it held the contract, where they had to be licensed because it was a regulated activity. Whichever of the different definitions you choose to, to have as the legal relationship between government or, or treasury, whatever, you know, whichever mm -hmm. is the most appropriate terminology, um, then they should, have, they should have been licensed. It was, it, it was a regulated activity. Okay. And another thing you picked up on was the amount of detail that's available to members within the Pink Book. Mm. Um, and obviously when we're making budget decisions, it's been a widely debated topic around mm -hmm. actually the ability to say no to one small item within or small in the uh, context of the overall budget, I should say, mm. um, unless they're capital schemes. Is that something that you'd like to see a change to? And if so, in what, how would you envisage the, the process being in the future? Well, I absolutely do think we should be given more information um, and whether I think where there isn't sufficient information or whether where there isn't time to consider properly all the information um, that either that section of the budget should, should be put to one side so it can debate, be debated and agreed or not at a future date when it's agreed that further information is needed and time has been given properly to understand and to go through the information. Okay, and then um, just a final point on again what you mentioned before. Um, into in the 2010 report that was done by the PAC, one of the recommendations was that Treasury should not be able to grant an FT8 waiver to themselves, and that mm. was voted again. That was voted down as a recommendation, so that failed to carry. Mm. Um, although there was a significant number of people in favour, I think it was 13 to 15 was the uh, the overall number, so it was relatively close. And um, you know we've all sat in debates that can go that way. Um, but do you? think that's something that needs revisiting? I think the rules on FD8 waivers have now changed. I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that it could occur again today. Um, I certainly think it's worth the committee checking and getting an opinion as to whether the changes that have happened to the FD8 wa waiver um, are sufficient protection going forward. Um, certainly I think the challenge would be was it legal in the first place for Treasury to do that? Mm -hmm. And do you see that as a lost opportunity in the 2010 report, that there was a, there was a chance there to change it at that juncture? Uh, no, the report can only make recommendations to the Council of Ministers who, and then it's debated, well, the, the, sorry, the, the report is to Tinbald, mm -hmm. uh, but the Council of Ministers will obviously discuss and take a stance on the recommendations. And 
it almost flows, particularly in the previous administration before some of the uh, numbers were changed, that most of the time they actually had a majority in Tinwald before anything happened and before any, anybody opened their mouth, um, which is hardly democratic and hardly a way of getting to a sensible decision over something as crucial as whether should Treasury be able to sign its own FDA waiver. So, I mean, it almost goes without saying, but the majority held by virtue of collective responsibility. Collective responsibility, and we, sub and we found at one point um, that, well, obviously, if you're in a department, some ministers will hold you to collective responsibility within that department. Uh, some don't, so it depends which department and which minister. Um, but then, in one particular instance, and I, from memory, I think it was over the tuition fees, uh, Mr Henderson said he didn't want to support the motion that was before Tinwald. Um, it never got to Tinwald, it was withdrawn at that particular point in time. But because he had said that he wanted to vote against it, he was sacked from Treasury. Now, it was an education matter, so you think, well, why? Because that doesn't, um, that shouldn't affect uh, Treasury members. But once something has gone through Treasury, it holds Treasury members. So, for instance, at that time, uh, when Mr Shimon was Minister for Economic Development, uh, you had, he had five members in his department who he tied to collective responsibility. And there was also two members in Treasury. So you have the Council of Ministers, the departmental members, and then the Treasury and then the Treasury members, because most um, motions have a financial impact, which means they've gone through Treasury. And there was one where there were 17 members in Tinwald tied up, tied to collective responsibility, 17 out of 32. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. You, you cannot have proper scrutiny and, and <laughs> proper protection of taxpayers' funds where you have a situation like that, where it's impossible to, to, to challenge sensibly and win, if you're in the right, uh, a minister. Now, I know it's altered slightly, but the odds are still very much stacked in the favour. Thank you. Thank you. Um, going back to the Cinema NX and the 2007 time period, and the information that the committee has is that uh, the partnership was established in, in August 2007, so over the, the recess period and, and subsequent to an indication of changes being made in the, in the, the budget which you mentioned in, in February. Um, there was a presentation to Tinwell members about Cinema Annex in October 2007. Um, can you explain any further concerns that you had uh, about the governance in relation to Cinema Annex um, being identified and selected as the investment managers for the fund? I know you've mentioned already about the tender processes. I just wondered that at that time, after a, 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 what we know as the Burrell Suite uh, briefings, and um, whether there was particular concerns raised, or whether you felt that it, there was a, enough awareness over what was really happening with members at that time. Um, as far as the Burrell Suite, uh, the Burrell Suite uh, briefing in 2007, I can't comment because I wasn't an MHK at that point. I wasn't elected till 2011, so at that point I was still. Um, an outsider looking in, I, I, I came to a lot of the um, Tinwald sittings and key sittings and took interest in it, um, but I, I can't comment 
as I say, on the, on the Tynwald uh, briefing that members received, I was certainly concerned uh, from what was said in Tynwald that it hadn't gone through the normal process uh, where, I mean, every three, I think it's every, it's every three years or every five years, Treasury um, asks for people to, not apply, but expressions of interest to become fund, the, the Treasury's fund managers and they are given a different fund. Um, there, there was nothing like that and I appreciate that it is different to the normal stocks and shares, etc., etc. But there didn't seem to be any governance surrounding it. There didn't seem to be any plans um, for how the governance arrangements for this particular different animal, as it was referred to, um, how they were going to manage that. And it, it, as I say, I think it was just that government decided that was going to happen. It didn't come to Tinwald. There was no debate on it. Um, there didn't seem to be any governance arrangements apart from having um, a Treasury officer on the board of Sinem NX. And he reported back to the Treasury Minister that, it, that, that there was not the normal governance arrangements surrounding it. We've been listening to the first public evidence session of the Inquiry into the Media Development Fund, where Kate Beecroft, MHK, was giving evidence to the Public Accounts Committee. More after this. The Nation Station, Radio. Mai, you're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. And if you're just joining us, we're listening in to an inquiry of Tinwald's Public Accounts Committee which is investigating the series of events that led to between £26 and £27 million worth of losses by the Media Development Fund. Let's rejoin the conversation between the panel and Kate Beecroft, MHK, who called for the inquiry in July last year. You believe there wasn't enough governance around mm. A, the setup, mm-hmm. and B, the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. What do you feel should have been in place at that time or in order to to provide that governance? Um, That's a very good question. Uh, And and actually, it's it's quite a lot. I mean, A, it should have been subject to some sort of proper process before Cinema NX was appointed in the first place. Um, As the Public Accounts Committee has pointed out, they weren't given any specific targets that they had to achieve, which is... I say, even though it's a different type of investment, you certainly want investments to achieve a proper target. Um, there was, there's been an awful lot of discussion about whether the local spend was even correct at the time. Uh, the Public Accounts Committee felt that, that it or the, I think it was the Chief Internal Auditor, I have it here somewhere, he felt it could have been overstated by as much as 60%. Um, and yet, it seemed to have, the figures that they were being given were just being accepted. So where's, where was the scrutiny in the original investments? You have, you have, you have one officer um, from Treasury on the board who's reporting to the Treasury Minister But where's the openness and the transparency of actually what's happened, why this this film was chosen, how many films were considered, the rationale for this particular one, 
Um, I'm trying to remember in some document or so, I think we were meant to be exposed to about a maximum of 25% of a budget for a film and other funding would be sourced from elsewhere. There's an awful lot of those films which certainly have 100% or close to 100% investment. Why was that? What was the rationale for thinking that this particular film is so such a good deal that it, it's worth 100% investment? Um, I th I'm thinking particularly of me and Orson Welles. I think that was over 11 million, the budget. I, from memory, I think that's one of the ones that was 100% investment. Why was that film picked? It certainly didn't make any money, so whoever recommended that it was such a good deal that it was worth putting 100% in and not having any other investors, could they? where's the documentation that shows that they tried to get other investors? Why, why were we being exposed to 100% of the losses? Thank you. I suppose there's loads of I could think. <laughs> I think you might be getting an expansion on that one. Is the answer to that something around the marketing of, of that film afterwards, when it was released? I think it's what happens first that's actually where you need to begin. Why was it decided in the first place to have that film? Where's the paperwork? Uh, where's the agreement from Treasury that that was the budget for that film? We know the amount of money was spent, but we don't know what Treasury agreed to. And certainly one of the films, which I can't remember the name off of the top of my head, um, that we saw the document for that, um, it, it was over what had been agreed by, by Treasury. The document that Treasury agreed, so was there another document that Treasury said, yes, you can go over budget by this amount, or did they just do it? We don't know. There, there's just so much that you don't, you don't know because the paperwork isn't available. You know, similarly to the accounts of Cinema NX, the only set of accounts that's ever been available, um, with, and only then, was because it was part of the evidence of the Public Accounts Committee in 2010, and that was their accounts to, for the year end of 2008, or the period ended 2008, it was their first period of trading. Have there been, since your time in Timwald, any other um, investment funds that you've had similar concerns over? Um, or you know, do, you, do you see what has happened with the Media Development Fund to very much stand out as being something you're quite quite different as to how it's it's been handled in terms of of governance yeah quite different okay quite different as far as funds are concerned obviously it doesn't i wouldn't say that i agreed with all the investments no. that no. Uh, government make but certainly as far as the funds i think the, the the media development fund has been handled very differently um and i don't think to the benefit of the people of the isle of man otherwise we wouldn't have lost so much money okay. um was there any opportunities, as far as you're aware, for members to meet um, with the individuals involved in Cinema NX? Um, you're considering the, the significant role that they, they had in managing those, those funds. Um, how many times um, did, did you meet with Steve Christian, or were you aware that other members had the chance to, to meet during that time? If you don't think I wasn't a member until September 2011, mm -hmm. um, by which time 
obviously the, mon the money had been with Cinema NX for quite a number of years, and it was being proposed that it, or the forward thinking, I think, at that time was that it went to, to Pinewood. So I would never have had a chance to meet with anybody um, prior to my election to being elected in, two th in September 2011. And did you... Um, I did meet with him afterwards, okay. um, when, in the run-up yes. to the transfer um, of responsibility for advice, uh, was passed to Pinewood Shepperton. Uh, what, um, what, um, what did you learn from, from that meeting? The meeting was with myself and Mr Karen. Um, because I was against the media, fund, the media development fund being transferred to Pinewood. Um, I didn't have as much concern about the investment in the shares, and, and they were two separate legal matters, which was confirmed by the Attorney General, even though government tried to roll them all up into one, mm -hmm. and was saying, oh, this and the other. They were two separate legal matters. Um, and so we met in the sometime in the June of 2012 that Peter and I uh, met with Mr Christian and he, he actually requested the meeting to try to explain what the position was and why, we, why the support was the correct thing to do unfortunately he came into the meeting in quite um, I wouldn't say aggressive, but very forceful, somewhere between the two. Um, and I did have to remind him that actually he had asked for the meeting, and if he con continued in that manner, then I was leaving. So we sort of had a bit more of an amicable conversation after that. Uh, he took a piece of A4 paper and he explained how things had worked and why it could no longer work and why it had to go why it was being recommended it go to Pinewood. I wasn't allowed to keep that piece of paper with his um, illustrations of how it worked. I certainly wasn't convinced that it was a satisfactory way uh, for government to behave. And if I'm being frank, it made me doubt the transfer of the Media Development Fund to Pinewood even more. Okay. Um, I think there were questions uh, in the House of Keys on the purchase of the shares. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what assurances were, were given to members at that time so that they could get some level of comfort or, or not, I mean, particularly to do with the financing of the transactions from the Media Development Fund? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Uh, what... what, uh, you know, what um, what comfort was given to questions uh, that were, were put in the House of Keys around the purchase of the transactions, um, sorry, around the purchase of the shares and you know, the transactions are being, being um, financed from the Media Development Fund. Did you feel satisfied with the response you were given when that was, that was pressed for in, in Keys? I had very, to be honest, I, I didn't have much comfort from any of the responses I received on either of them. The shares I was more comfortable with, as I said, than the transfer of the 25, of the 25 million um, to Pinewood, because at least the shares um, were something concrete. So it, it, it 
So are you wanting me really to comment on the shares or on the fund? Um, really on um, how you felt, the, how comfortable you were with how the, sh- how the shares were, were financed, how the purchase of the shares were financed. Whether it was really shares by government or by cinema in it. That's the thing about the about them being financed from the proceeds of the media development funds. Right, that would be when it was in the hands of Cinema NX, presumably. Mm-hmm. Those questions going back earlier. Yeah. Yes. Um, I suppose this brings it to the if I can just use the accounts of Cinema NX. Um, And first of all, this is the Hansard from the 25th of May 2011 regarding them. And it was then, the then Treasury Minister uh, was Mrs Crane. In respect to the acquisition of its shareholding in Pinewood, Shepparton, PLC, I understand that these shares were purchased over the period between December 2008 and February 2009 at a range of prices quoted on the open market stock exchange during that period. I would like to make it clear to honourable members that this share acquisition was financed by Cinema NX through its own resources for strategic business purposes and was not financed from the government's media development fund, um, which was obviously my concern because looking at the accounts it didn't appear that there was sufficient um, money in the profits that mm. Cinema X was entitled to keep to fund that purchase which has made what made well Peter was asking questions for me at that that time um, now if it was a significant number of shares Obviously, which made me think they didn't possibly didn't have enough money because we've only got the balance sheet up to June 2008, and as the as the Treasury Minister then said that they were purchased between December 2008 and February 2009. So there could have been there could have been money loaned to the company by one one of the shareholders or directors that enabled the company to purchase it or whatever. But we could never really quite get to the bottom of it. But whatever, it, we had the assurance that it wasn't purchased, that it wasn't financed through the government's media development fund. But at the beginning, um, we, there was an assurance given that Cinema NX was formed for the specific and sole purpose of in, a, a, a investing after the permissions had been given, investing some of that 50 million in different funds. So why was it buying Pinewood shares at that time, which is so long before an investment in Pinewood shares was made by the government and so long before money was transferred to them to continue offering advice when the contract with Cinema NX expired. But also it's classed as a strategic strategic business purposes. Um, is what is said in Hansard. Now, what were those strategic business um, purposes going back to December 2008 and February 2009? And also, I find it very curious that the the only accounts, as I say, that we can get it for the period ended 30th of June 2008. 
So it was six or seven months after these accounts were produced that the investment, which is quite a serious investment for strategic business purposes, was made. Now the accounts were, were signed by the, by the board and by the auditors on the 28th of July 2009, which is well after these shares have been purchased. Now any auditor is going to ask for any significant post balance sheet events from the directors of the company and is obviously then going to want evidence of those. And they're included in the notes to the accounts as a post balance sheet event. But obviously not every minor thing, but something that is strategic business purposes and which has involved a significant, um, well the shares are certainly worth a significant amount of money. So why isn't it in the auditor's report? So why did, why did they purchase Pinewood? Why did Cinema NX purchase or acquire, because we don't quite know how they did it, why would they do it at that time? And why would the auditors not report on it? Were the auditors not told about it? That we don't know because we can't see the subsequent accounts. We don't know if they made reference to it after that. What we do know, if you look, and the Treasury Minister at the time was quite specific between December 08 and February 09, if you look at the trading of those shares between those two dates, there was insufficient trading for Cinema NX to have bought them on the open market, as stated in Hansard. So who did they buy them off? Did they buy them off? Did they buy them off somebody, a shareholder? Were they given to them? Is that why they weren't on the balance sheet? There's, there's so many questions this opens up, and more curious is the fact that they were registered in the same nominee holding the same nominee company as, and you'll forgive me, I can't remember whether it was Peel or one of its subsidiaries, but they used the same nominee company. So you can only infer that they bought them off Peel or, or a Peel connection at that time. But how did they buy them directly? How did they buy them? How did they acquire them? Where was the money, where was the transfer of the money to buy them? Or were they a gift? And those are serious questions that I really think we need to get to the... Sorry, I'm saying we. I, I can't be a we anymore. <laughs> that, it, that's a serious question. Those are serious questions that I would have loved to have been able to get to the bottom of. Um, but you can't. Okay. Um, I think at the time there was also some concern as to the level of shareholding that was um, being negotiated for and that, that I think that, that changed. But now we're going to 2012, is it? And um, the government purchase? Uh, no, in the, the, the Pinewood shares. By government, yes. not by Cinema NX yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was reduced. That's right, and and um, we can see that from from uh, some of the explanations in in, in Hansard. And um, would you like to say, uh, tell us a little bit more about the concerns that you had uh, around that time about um, 
about that reduce uh, about that reduction about how that how it was negotiated well i think if you've got an option to purchase shares it is up to you how many you decide to purchase at the end of the day i find it curious that government had um, argued very vociferously about what a good deal it was and then had decided to accept a lower amount and i don't think we ever got a satisfactory answer to that as to their rationale as to why would they accept were they forced to accept because we can't see we never saw the paperwork um just um sort of covering a, a large period of the the media development fund it's been said through various handheld answers that the intention was only ever to break even mm. um in terms it wasn't to look to make a profit um but it was obviously appeared to be looking to stimulate growth in the film industry because there was a lot of reference to bed nights spend on the island etc um how do you think that the shares purchase ties in with the overall objectives and the statements that were made again are we going back to 2007 or 12 or covering the whole period. The whole period, because I think the the different uh, iterations of the fund uh, <laughs> present different answers to the same questions in, yeah. in some cases. So I'd be interested in your take in, on the on the two key period with share purchase. Um, well, again, I mean, they kept talking about the local spend and the bed nights and everything else, but the local spend has never been substantiated. And um, if, if you can forgive me, I'll see if I can find. If not, if I can't find it quickly, I'll have to send it to you. Um, but again, it goes back to the, I think it was the Chief Internal Auditor and the PAC, where in 2000, the earlier of the PAC reports, um, there was considerable doubt, or it certainly couldn't be proved, uh, how the local spend that it was correct and in 2007 the PAC then had the same concerns and from memory they asked the chief um, internal auditor had any action been taken since the previous report pointing out the same thing and he said no. We are quickly approaching the one o'clock news with Sean. Join us again afterwards. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Faster you're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. And if you're just joining us, we're listening in to an inquiry of Tinwald's Public Accounts Committee, which is investigating the series of events that led to between £26 and £27 million worth of losses by the Media Development Fund. The panel has been speaking to Kate Beecroft, MHK, who first called for the inquiry in July last year. Let's rejoin that hearing. Comparisons have been drawn with similar initiatives in Wales and Northern Ireland. Mm. And the Isle of Man has been viewed as a, a less favourable location because its support offering was making by, made by way of investment and not by subsidy. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? It was... The lack of success by Cinema NX was partially blamed on the fact that it wasn't a level playing field. But then it was known it wasn't going to be when the decision was taken. So if they knew it wasn't going to be a level playing field, um, then something else had to be offered. And they, and they did. They 
Um, I think they offered in there were incentives offered for film companies coming over here. I believe um, certainly at, sort of roads being closed easily for filming, etc., was quite a draw at one time, um, but not enough to to get round um, what other places were offering. And it was put to us that this is one of the reasons for it eventually being going down to Pinewood because they would be able to take advantage down there. But I think if you look at it more broadly, um, Ireland, Northern Ireland, certainly made quite a success of its film industry. Um, and it's very open. You know, you, you can get hold of figures. It, it's not a, you can get hold of Irish, Northern Irish figures on film much easier than you can on Isle of Man figures on film. Uh, <clears throat> they've done very, very well. Um, it would be interesting to know uh, again how many how many films were actually offered to the Isle of Man and were refused and were then offered on. I mean, Game of Thrones, is it possible that we were offered that? Because that's a huge thing. Um, it would be heartbreaking to think that we could have been offered something like that. But there must be a list, um, and Treasury has access to all of Cinema NX's record. There must be a list of what films um, were offered and refused, and the reasons for refusal. And I think if to compare the difference between what was offered and refused and what was offered and accepted as to be put forward to Treasury um, could be quite a revealing exercise. Yeah. But going back to the actual films themselves, um, Ireland have made a good success of it. Wales, on the other hand, got its fingers burnt. And I found it quite interesting um, and this is published in June 2018, the Welsh Government's relationship with Pinewood. Um, if you like, I'll, I if you don't have it, I'll send you a, a, a copy of the link. The summary report shows that the agreement with, with Pinewood was in February 2014. The Welsh Government established a 30 million budget to invest in film and TV productions and appointed Pinewood Film Advisors Wales Limited to identify projects suitable for investment. The media investments budget performance did not meet the panel's expectations. So they did have expectations of something rather than just breaking even or maybe nothing. Pinewood Studios, Studios Wales was unable to operate the studio as a going concern without the support of Pinewood Group. And in October 2017, the Welsh Government terminated its lease and collaboration agreements with Pinewood, and Pinewood ceased to manage the media investment budget. It didn't really take them too long to realise that it wasn't working. It says, by entering into this collaboration agreement over five years, the Welsh Government expected to generate an estimated 90 million production spend in Wales, creating or safeguarding at least 1,950 full-time equivalent jobs. Now, I wonder where they got that 
figure from? What were they basing that on? Because certainly later on, they remark that Pinewood has already worked with the Isle of Man government to introduce the Isle of Man Media Development Fund in 2012. Independent economic analysis of the Isle of Man's support for TV and film productions concluded that it had generated a direct local spend of 100 million and 2,140 full-time equivalent jobs since, guess the date, 1995. But whose was this independent economic analysis? That would be interesting to know. I haven't asked Wales, but I'm sure they would share that information with us because if it was Oxford Economics, then there's certainly doubt over the figures that they would have provided them based on our figures, which possibly were based on incorrect information. members of the panel decided in August 2016 that the collaboration agreement was unlikely to meet the Welsh Government's expectations for the performance of the investment budget. So they had expectations. And it took them 18 months from sign-up to that point to realise getting a return. goes on, Welsh Government's officials advised the Cabinet Secretary for Economy and Infrastructure in August 2016 of their concerns about the budget's performance. These concerns were a greater number of higher risk investments being put forward by Pinewood because productions could obtain lower risk funding from other sources. Hmm. Now that's interesting and that applies to both cinema and, and and Pinewood, were we funding the higher risk element? Yeah. Would you agree that actually that it is a, a gamble, really? Absolutely. And that, you know, the, the investors are taking the high risk in this in mm. the hopes of a big, big film and a big success at the end of it. Mm. But actually, it is a bit of a punt in the first place. Yeah, very much so. Some more so than others, which makes me wonder whether we were getting that sort of higher risk element, the same as the, the Welsh Government was concerned about. But they were getting the higher risk element. Um, they had concerns, and I wouldn't, reading that, I wonder, should we have concerns in that area as well? But yes, it's always a high risk. If you look at the number of films produced and look at the number of films that actually um, successful. produce anything directly as in way of profit, uh, it's, it's a small number, and the, I know the Chief Minister denied later on and kept saying he didn't say it was high risk. It's recorded in Hansard. He did. Um, so he knew it was high risk, obviously, when he set forward doing that. Um, but So that was one of the concerns that, they had in, in, that Wales had in 2016, I say 18 months after they started down this route, um, Pinewood's operating model meant it was reluctant to invest its own money in these higher-risk projects alongside the Welsh Government. And Pinewood might be conflicted in its involvement with the budget, as it also had an interest not prohibited under the collaboration agreement 
in providing its own London-based services to the industry. Welsh government officials felt that a perception had arisen amongst other companies that Pinewood had an unfair competitive advantage in securing post-production work in Wales. They therefore considered that this had the potential to reduce the economic benefits to Wales. And it goes on. Um, but it, again, my concern is the paragraph about us. It showed, I think, a lot of the report, and from memory, I think it's about 48 pages, a lot of it, the sort of echoes of the Isle of Man, if you like, in this report, uh, which is very thorough. But it does concern me that the establishment of this deal in Wales could be could have been partly influenced by the fact that the Isle of Man government had made similar investment and the fact that they could be relying on this independent economic analysis of our figures which were questionable. Um, the committee understands that film financing is a, a complex business and that such complexity is standard in the film industry. Uh, as we've touched on there, uh, as you've touched on, we also understand that investment in film is high risk. And assuming for the moment that um, you know, we set aside whether there was an appropriate level of risk for government, Please, can you set out what you think is appropriate in terms of the, what the govern, governance structures should be in relation to Isle of Man government investments? I think what it ha I can't give you a specific structure, but it has to give you a structure that is open and transparent. Um, that after a certain point, there can be no confidentiality clauses because when something is going on, obviously you sometimes do need them at a point because otherwise you're giving information to competitors possibly, but there has to come a time where that is no longer relevant and that the people whose money it actually is that you're investing, i.e. the people of the Isle of Man, have a right to see everything and to see whether they believe that the actions were justified or not. So there, should, there has to be, any system of government has to be accountable and it has to have KPIs, measurements by which it is agreed in advance that the success or failure of something is going to be measured. I'm not saying that anybody, and certainly I don't think anybody, um, in Tinwald would be capable of understanding all the complexities of film finance. I'm not suggesting that for a moment, but as I said, there should be something that you can demonstrate that you have secured comfort and from each investment. As I say, in film, whether it's a charge, whether it's shares, whatever it is, you have to be able to demonstrate that you have protected public funds, not just to the best of your ability, but that you have seriously protected them. Even if you lose them, you've protected them. That you, Nobody else can get that money. You've taken precautions and you've protected them. It should be accountable. There should, and as I say, there should be measurements all the way along the line. And if alarm bells ring, 
there should be a break in that contract that if by if any of these dates and specifics are missed, we reserve the right to come back in and say, right, no more, we're calling a halt. Okay. And over um, the time of the Isle of Man film industry, um, throughout Cinema NX and Pinewood, there, there was scrutiny in Timwald, there was scrutiny in the House of Keys. Um, would you like to make any comment as, as to why efforts in that respect um, were not successful in securing a change of, of direction, perhaps why there was not further follow-up that, uh, that secured a better outcome or indeed put a stop to things, despite efforts of scrutiny in, in both those places? I think that's a question that would actually be better put to the um, previous two Treasury Ministers. I mean, Mr Bell was Treasury Minister during the contract with um, Cinema NX and that obviously went on to be Chief Minister but was um, very supportive of the Pinewood deal. Um, obviously Treasury would have brought the motion because it was a financial motion. I think they would be best placed to answer as to why they would not give us the information that was requested. Okay. And. Um, as we've mentioned, there, there have um, been other PAC reports and other inquiries in, into lots of matters related to all of this. Um, uh, what would you like to see as an outcome from this inquiry that would be different to the matters identified from previous investigations and reports on this? I would like to see... I think, as I said in my opening statement, the truth. I would like to see all the documentation you, that you collate being made public so that people can see the various documentation themselves. Um, I would like to see, I suppose, a proper, truthful account of what has happened, what went wrong, and most importantly, why it went wrong and recommendations made hopefully Tinwald will support to prevent it ever happening again because as I said in my opening remarks we see it happening time and time again they all oh, we've learned her we've learned the lesson we've done this we've done that obviously it's not been good enough and I think um, a call for more openness and transparency where government deals with other companies and entities. I think it's going forward has to be of primary importance. I mean, my feeling is that if business wants money from government, which belongs to the public of the Isle of Man, um, except for very restricted circumstances and a very restricted time frame it shouldn't be confidential and government say oh well you know then we wouldn't get the deal well fine if we wouldn't get the deal then we wouldn't get the deal they can go somewhere else if they can go to a bank or something then why why are they coming to us wanting harmony that we're holding in trust for the people of the Isle of Man 
that ties in then um, with how you balance that sort of such a vital role of scrutiny with business confidence mm. um, and just you know, what you if you've got any further comments on that I think that's something that would have to be discussed with business as well because they would have to be on board um, or at least understanding of why government is taking this approach or, or a new approach if you were recommending such a thing but there has to come a time when things aren't confidential you know when the day is over like some of these things um, that have had public money spent on them by Cinema NX why is it still confidential why can we still not get those documents that should be written into a con any contract that government has with people that after a certain time period, if it's necessary, and it has to be justifiably necessary, not just used as a phrase, you have to be able to back up why you think it's necessary for a company to have confidentiality, and because there are circumstances when it is necessary. But there has to come a time where that isn't necessary at the end of the day. Those, those circumstances that created the necessity no longer apply. An argument that could be made for the confidentiality could be essentially related to the fact that with all of this, um, they are different from you know, capital um, projects that, that we would see in Timwald. It's, it's perhaps also diff different from support that's given to, to businesses. Um, otherwise, because essentially these are speculative investments and um, would you like to make any comments um, in respect of government making such speculative investments and also what you're saying before you saying that that given that might be accepted and there might be an appetite politically for that sometimes do you think there should be a cut-off point at, at which actually you need to reassess whether you need to not you know have the confidentiality in place to protect um, your commercial commerciality or other other interests. Um, I'd be interested on the, on those two points really about the government and speculative investments, and secondly, a cut-off point. Uh, you know, if there is a reason for having uh, commercial confidentiality. And again, I think that sort of goes back to what I was saying before that where where a company believes it should have commercial confidentiality. And for whatever reasons government agrees with it, they agree it's necessary, then that should be written into the contract. Right. And again, that they should agree at the outset that though that rationale for agreeing it was necessary no longer applies after such a time frame. Whatever government does, it should be it's accountable to the people and it should be able to account and justify why decisions are being made and to show why and you do have to ask yourself whether it is government's position to speculate there has to be there has to be a point where the speculation the risk is too high to use public funds and i think that is an area that there should be some sort of guidance of what both parliamentar parliamentarians and the people can expect what, what guidelines government itself is working to as 
because there are times when speculation is going to be a good thing. And there's also times when it's definitely not. Where anybody would say, this is too high risk. I wouldn't put my own money in it. So why am I allowing government to put my money in it? Which is what, what happens with the very high risk ones. So there has to, I think for speculative purposes, I think government should be given a guideline and given a guideline of what it actually, if it's wanting to, and it feels justified, because you can never say never and you can never say something is beyond the realms of what would be acceptable. I think there should be guidelines about what is an acceptable amount of information for Tinwald members. Because again in 2012 we got the strategy and we got the Oxford Economics Report and we got a briefing, um, obviously explanatory memorandum, that had an 8 million error in it. And it's just not good enough. That's, that, that is all we got. And the people who couldn't go to the Tinwall briefing and the Barul suite didn't even get that. Um, I'd just like to ask, um, because it's been stated that um, the only taxpayers-funded investment was the original 500,000, um, and that later investment was generated from within the, un the industry itself, now, there's a lot of money made in those first years. Do you think that altered the mindset when decision-making was happening? Because it was only seen as the initial investment of £500,000 was the taxpayers' money and that everything else had been generated from within the industry it itself. Therefore, it was more acceptable to take risk with the profit rather than have to account for the original sum? Um, I think it was actually more than that. If you look back at Isle of Man film accounts, they received, they started off by receiving money on a film-for-film -film basis, if my memory is right, but then it was decided that a certain amount every year was going to be put into the film fund. Um, my memory's a little bit vague on the Alarm Film just, Fund side of it because uh, I didn't concentrate too much on that. But I do think there was more than 500,000 put into the fund. Yeah, Timwald answer in, uh, to answer to a question in 2012 um, was that the 500,000 pounds initially put in was the only direct contribution that has come from the Manx taxpayer in all that time, in 17 years. I think that needs checking. That figure needs checking because, as I said, my memory, and it could be wrong because I didn't pay that much attention to it prior to it going to Cinema NX. But I know they changed it from investing in each particular film to investing in putting money in on an annual basis. So I can't see it would have been only that amount. Maybe the, the sort of... It, could be worth actually checking hands on to see yeah. the, the original records. I mean, to yeah, see if there's a naught being missed off or something. Quote from um, that answer is the rest of the money has been generated from within yeah. the industry and recycled as a result of it. Mm. But even so, um, as I come back to my analogy about you, know, you, you put money in the bank and you get bank interest, does that mean that the money that you earn as bank interest isn't counted anymore? I mean, otherwise, where do we get our money from? Where does government get its money from to spend money on behalf of the taxpayers? 
if not from, inv- I mean, it's got a lot of investments. It talks about what it's going to do with the return on those investments. Why should the media fund, the media development fund, be absolved from having to um, be treated any differently in that area that the profits that it generates, it can keep and do whatever it wants with because it didn't come from the taxpayers? That, that doesn't make rational sense to me, that argument. So just if I can offer some sort of analogy to what you're saying, it's uh, if you were to go and put a pound in a fruit machine and win 500 and you perceived you'd only lost a pound when you then spent the whole £500 back in the fruit machine. I'd have felt I'd lost 500 Okay, so I think... <laughs> but maybe there is something there around perception because I'm sure I could find as many people who'd argue one as the other and that's something maybe we need to explore further mm-hmm. with the people who made the decisions at the time as to what their perception would be of that same situation, mm-hmm. um, which is something we'll be doing. as stated in Hansard, was... Um, subsequently regretted, possibly. Mm-hmm. Perhaps your analogy is um, more about when, when to when to pull to out, stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when to cut your mm-hmm. losses and. And again, out. this is why you need the the KPIs, the measurements, the targets for as you go along, so that Treasury have something to measure these things by, and something to justify when they get asked questions in Parliament as well. They say, well, why would we do anything? Because they complied with what we set at the beginning of the contract. You know, we we gave them these targets and and they've reached them. Or they didn't reach them, but there was a reason because. Um, You know, there has to be something. And as PAC reported several times, there didn't seem to be... how can you hold somebody something to account if you haven't got anything to account with? That was Kate Beecroft, MHK, giving evidence to the Public Accounts Committee. You can hear that evidence session in full on the Tinwald website. After the hearing, Mrs Beecroft spoke to Manx Radio. We'll hear what she had to say shortly. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Fast am I, and welcome to the final part of this week's episode of Perspective. We've been listening to Kate Beecroft, MHK, who's been giving evidence to the Public Accounts Committee about the losses incurred by the Media Development Fund to the tune of between £26 and £27 million. After the hearing, Mrs Beecroft spoke to Rianne Evans. So does she feel any progress is being made? Um, I hope so. That's impossible really to say until you see the end result, which will be the report from the committee. Um, But they're certainly willing to listen and I hope that they will look at the documentation, that they'll be be able to get access to the documentation that's needed uh, that will show one way or the other what happened. In simple terms, um, going back to just the basic of um, why, why you're here today, how do you think the Media Development Fund lost that much money? I know you touched on um, measurements not being put in place by Treasury. Are there any other reasons? Yeah, I think you've got um, governance issues from the very beginning of both contracts, actually. The first with Cinema NX, when it was referred to in the 2007 budget speech by the then Treasury Minister, Alan Bell, Um, and was also referred to in the pink book, but it wasn't explicit as to what was going to happen, just that a new way had to be found. 
Um, and then in the August subsequent to that, £50 million was transferred to Cinema NX Limited um, and it was shown on the balance sheet. There was no tin wall debate and Treasury actually signed its own FDA waiver, which in theory allowed them to do so, but I do question the legitimacy of that. And then again at the beginning, right at the beginning, um, of the uh, agreement with Pinewood, uh, we weren't given all the information that we should have been given. There was no independent appraisal. Um, again, there was, as far as we're aware, uh, there was no measures put in so that you couldn't measure and be accountable or held to account for something. Um, and when it was decided in Tinwald, when it was debated and decided in Tinwald that the media, 25 million then of the Media Development Fund should be ring-fenced for Pinewood to give advice on, Pinewood hadn't had any experience in that area and Pinewood did not have a license to do that because it's a regulated activity, um, which again is something Cinema NX didn't have. And whether the regulations were in at the time the contract was signed, if regulations subsequently come in, other companies have to adapt to those regulations. Uh, Cinema NX was never um, a regulated entity even though it was carrying out regulated activities. Basically, um, I think what you said was um, the truth needs to come out and, mm. and you said um, power has, um, it feels like power has kind of pushed the truth to one side. Mm. Why do you think it's so difficult to just get the documents that you need to see to find out basically how all this escalated so dramatically? Um, I think because it's sort of almost historic that it's accepted that a lot of government papers will be confidential where actually to my mind it should be the other way around it should be accepted that they're not confidential unless there's a very good reason for it and that reason should be recorded somewhere and it should be justifi justifiable and the reason itself should be open to the public so you know why the elected representative has made that decision you might disagree with it but you know what the rationale is so i think it's just flipped the coin um on the same issue and of course you you were talking about the public having a right to know because it's 26 million pounds worth of taxpayers money that's mm. been lost what's the impact on the manx people from such a huge amount of money that that has been lost well, I mean, I think it has to be enormous when you look at the things that we can't afford to do at the moment because we don't have the money for, um, and the things that we, over the last 10, 12 years, that we haven't been able to afford. You know, you think, really, that would have gone a long way on things that actually mean something to people. Plain devil's advocate, if that £26 million is gone and it can't be gotten back, why, why are you personally choosing to pursue to carry on chasing government, holding them to account if this money can't be gotten back? Partly because I think scrutiny is a very important part um, of an MHK's duties. You know, if you're not in government, you should be scrutinising and making sure that government is doing things as you would expect them to do. So yes, the 26 million can't be recouped, but 
government always says it's learnt lessons from various things that have gone wrong. And I could give you a list, as I'm sure just about everybody else could, of money that has just disappeared because of bad decisions by government. You have to ask, is that because of the lack of governance? And if governance is open and accountable, these things shouldn't happen. You're always going to get human error, but you have to have systems that are robust enough that will minimise any errors um, as much as possible. And I think the lack of governance in this particular instance is so severe that I'm, I'm very glad to see that the committee um, is looking into it. And as I say, I just hope that they will be able to get all the information that they need so that they can report properly and give a full account to the Manx people because they absolutely deserve it. How long have you been chasing this for now? <laughs> well, I was following Cinema NX before I got elected, which was, I got elected in September 2011. Um, and I know some people said, oh, you know, it'd be a different story if, if we'd had a hit film. But actually the question started long before we knew whether it was making a profit or a loss. So it's some of the basic things. You know, I mean, if you look at the Public Accounts Committee reports, they had concerns going back then. They didn't know whether it was going to make a profit or a loss either. And that is, it's obviously not immaterial because 26 million is a huge amount of money. But the fact that the systems weren't in place for the Public Accounts Committee to have confidence in them either, I think demonstrates that there was something wrong um, and demonstrates the fact that why I hope that the, the committee will come back with recommendations that will be supported by Tynwald to prevent it ever happening again. You mentioned that some films stood out as out of the ordinary mm. uh, financially. Um, do you know which films these were and what was abnormal about them that stood out to you? Oh, gosh, without looking at my papers, I would be reticent to name a film in case I <laughs> picked the wrong one. But, for instance, some films have a charge registered. Uh, some films, the Treasury or Cinema NX held shares in. So you've got that sort of comfort level that you've got some legal ownership um, of that film because every film had a company that produced it. Some films, if you look at the structure... Um, of the ownership, there is no no mention of Treasury or Pinewood or Cinema NX, and there are no charges registered. So where was the protection uh, for the public funds in that case? There may well be, uh, but there's certainly nothing in the public domain. What's the next step from here? Um, I shall go back. The committee have said that I can uh, submit further uh, evidence if... I think it necessary. I'll go back and review my files and then wait back, wait for the committee's report and hope it's a good one. Do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Because you, this is something you've been fighting for, for since 2011, was it? So for a very long time that you've been really committed to this cause, do you finally feel like you're starting to get somewhere? I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. Um, it, it's would appear to be a good committee who seem to be committed to actually looking at evidence. Um, some of the body language today, they'd certainly picked up on some of the things that I was talking about and some of the other things you could see, you could see that they were interested in. Um, so I am hopeful that they will come back with a good report and then finally it can all be put to bed. <laughs>
That was Kate Beecroft, MHK, speaking to Rhianne Evans. And that's all we've got time for on Perspective this week. Slen Liu.